0: Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is October sixth, two 2015, and this is broadcast number 90. Today we have the pleasure to sit down with one of our newest professors here at Greenville Seminary to talk about a small booklet he has written in the Cultivating Biblical Godliness series put out by Reformation Heritage Books. And the subject is one that um, perhaps you, you have not spent much time thinking about. I know I didn't, um, but it's one that we as Christians need to be very well acquainted with, and the subject is on self-denial. The title of the book is Why Should You Deny Yourself? And um, it's a, a sermon that was preached at numerous places uh, by Dr. McGraw, and in fact, preached also here at our convocation that opened the 2015 uh, fall semester. So more about that in just a minute. Let me bring you up to speed. Uh, what's going on around the seminary as well as on the podcast. I'm actively working on, on some new ideas, actually, uh, for the podcast. But of course, the normal routine, once a month, Faith in Practice with Dr. Piper, you can submit your questions uh, to us and we will deal with them uh, on air, live every month uh, here on the podcast Additionally, I'm working on bringing other guests and other ideas in, but I'm going to be focusing primarily in the next few months on the Spring Theology Conference that uh, the Greenville Seminary does every, uh, every year. Uh, and I know that seems like a long way away, March, uh, six months from now, uh, but it's going to sneak up on us relatively quickly, um, as most things do. And so I'm going to be looking to bring the guests on to talk about their topic, their material, but it's on the family, uh, sexuality, and, and, and the home, and so the topic is uh, of one of extreme practical importance, not only for the life of families, but for the life of the Church as well. So those are some of the things that, that are happening. Other information uh, is available on our website, ConfessingOurHope.com. I uh, just written, in fact, an article, a uh, short, brief one there on the website, looking for suggestions, comments, or criticisms uh, for listeners, from listeners uh, about the program. So if you do have any, Feel free to send them along. You can email me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. I respond to every email, uh, maybe not immediately, uh, but within a week or two, maybe. Uh, but I will get back to you uh, in due course. So feel free to contact us using that email address. And of course, Greenville Seminary's website, gpts.edu, if you're interested in more information about the seminary, if you are uh, on a session and uh, in, in looking for... Uh, uh, an institution that is uh, committed to confessional standards, the truth of God's word, and promoting and teaching sound preaching, Uh, perhaps this is a school you'd like to support. Um, But there's other information and resources available there at the website, gpts.edu. And as I said, we're going to be talking with Dr. Ryan McGraw. He has written a book, Why Should You Deny Yourself? It's one that I've personally read, um, in fact, read right before I preached a sermon relevant to this topic, which was very helpful for me uh, that day as I preached it. So, Dr. McGraw, it's good to have you back on the program. Again, you've been on, I've I've lost track quite a few times, but that's okay. Um, It's all good material, and uh, so we're thankful to have you in here to to do this. Thanks, Bill. It's always good to be with you. Uh, for the listeners' sake, and, and I, I know we haven't, maybe we've done this a little bit in the past, but um, one of the things I'm trying to do, especially with the new professors, Dr. Morales, took some time to uh, tell the listeners a little bit about himself, his life, background, how he came to Christ, why Greenville Seminary. So why don't you take that time now to do the same, for, to introduce yourself to the listeners, and then we'll dive into this material, which is very, very helpful.
1: Well, that's a lot of things to cover. Um... Basically, for the most part, I grew up in Southern California. I was converted through the witness of a friend towards the end of high school. Uh, I ended up after a brief time in Calvary Chapel in a Baptist church where we had a reformed uh, minister, and I became uh, something of a youth minister and shifted into more of the role of an assistant pastor and became Presbyterian there in my convictions, and ended up uh, then coming to Greenville Seminary because my pastor there had done a doctor of ministry under Dr. Piper and pushed me towards Greenville Seminary. Uh, Then after graduating from Greenville Seminary in 2005, I ended up in the pastorate in the PCA in Conway, South Carolina for seven years, and then for the last three in the OPC in Northern California in Sunnyvale, and now since June have been here full-time on the faculty at Greenville Seminary. Uh, My PhD work is largely in John Owen's Trinitarian theology. I've dealt with uh, largely the practical or devotional aspects of his Trinitarianism, and especially in relation to public worship, and have done a lot of study in other seventeenth-century British and continental theology. I like to read a lot of the uh, Latin classics from the time period. Um, And here at the seminary now, I am uh, largely teaching systematic theology and splitting those courses with Dr. Piper, but I'm also teaching uh, some practical theology such as a homiletics course Uh, And then my Reformed Spirituality course, which is both a practical and systematic course in the way that I'm addressing those issues.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, And I appreciate you uh, even talking about the practical side of what you're doing here at the seminary, because the seminary is committed to not only putting out uh, pastor scholars, uh, if I could phrase it that way, but also men who are uh, concerned with godliness and piety and, um, and let's face it, the, the second part of that is the hardest part. Learning is not hard. Um, doing is much more difficult, which segues really nicely into the topic of the book that you wrote. Yeah, off-air, Dr. McGraw, you indicated that this is a sermon that you've preached, uh, it was built on a sermon that you've preached numerous times, um, one at Conway and one out in your pastorate in California. But why this subject um, in particular?
1: Maybe before I say that, I should uh, add that I'm also married to Krista and have four children, which is probably more important than
0: all those other things, but uh, didn't want to leave that out. Yeah, shame on the host so. for not for not even going there. You know, and it, it, it's interesting because there's some connection. Uh, Dr. McGraw and I have some thin connection because when he was a student at Greenville Seminary, he attended the church that I am currently a ruling elder at. If I said that grammatically correctly, who cares? Um, but I, but anyway uh, and so his my pastor is his father-in-law so we have this thin connection i guess of some nature and not only that one of his best friends uh in the ministry probably best friends in life Um, also a fellow student at the time that he was at Greenville, uh, went to Calvary as well, and he was my associate pastor in Virginia, so there is that interesting small-world connection that goes on. But anyway,
1: uh, to the topic. So why was self-denial important? Um, as, As I was leaving my pastorate in Conway, we largely ended up having to leave Conway fairly suddenly because we lived in a very swampy area, And our middle son developed some severe health problems related to the area, and as we were praying for the Lord's mercy and a solution uh, to the situation, I was solicited and received a call from one of the elders in Sunnyvale. And uh, long story short, we were reluctant to leave Conway and really love the saints there, and we still do. Uh, But through using the means of grace, much prayer, fasting, seeking counsel, we eventually uh, discerned that the problems were severe enough that the Lord was opening the door and calling us to California. So as I was preparing to leave the saints in Conway, and as I was praying about what I was going to leave them with as a farewell sermon, I kept coming back to Luke 9 where Jesus tells us to take up the cross, deny ourselves daily, and to follow him. And the reason why I kept coming back to this particular principle, really I should say two reasons, were that it was essential in terms of uh, being a primary component of our Christian discipleship and at the heart of what it meant to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And as such, it, it really ended up being the need of the hour in terms of not only what that church, but all Christians desperately need mm-hmm. in renewing our, our wholehearted commitment to Christ, maybe recovering something of the cost of Christianity and uh, reconsidering that the glory of Christ is worth forsaking all things in principle, uh, as Jeremiah Burroughs once put it, along with probably two dozen other Puritans. Mm. Every Christian is not a martyr in practice, but every Christian is a potential martyr. Um, and then the other reason, the first reason that I gave was was how central this issue was to Christian discipleship. The other one is related in that whether we're talking about uh, the Sabbath or – Uh, hospitality, or going to prayer meetings, or rearing our children and building the disciplines of, of taking the time for family worship, or anything else that tends to be a weak point among modern Christians seem to be encompass under the single principle of self-denial. Mm. And so I began to look at it in many ways as as not, I wouldn't say the missing ingredient because I think there are several things that fall under that category today, but one of the primary issues that needed to be addressed and the thing that I wanted to leave the saints there with that would encompass everything that I had taught them and pressed upon them for the last seven years um, though it's, it can come across as a very negative topic as well, my goal was not to end on that note, but to present this as really having fellowship with Christ in his sufferings and walking with Christ in every aspect of the Christian life. So denying ourselves, putting aside uh, the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, and learning to take up a Christianity that is costly – because the exchange that we receive in gaining uh, Christ himself and fellowship with the
0: Spirit and eternal glory is worth it. Yep. <clears throat> I remember thinking, I had preached at one time of the parallel text in Mark 8, where he makes the same reference, and I remember reflecting on the reality that after, at this point in Christ's ministry, many were following him. And then he makes this, drops this, as it were, this this spiritual bomb um, on the crowds about the reality of what it means to follow him. And it seems after that point, at least in the Gospel of Mark, the people followed him less and less because of the demands that following Christ really uh, put on, on the life. So self-denial, I mean, are we talking about um, it seems inherent in the word? what it means, but what does it mean to deny yourself? Well, the first thing
1: that comes to my mind in thinking about self-denial is in order to deny yourself, you have to desire something that you're denying Mm -hmm. on some level. That could be pursuing your own way and your own plans instead of the Lord's. Um, a classic example that comes up is is when people ask, well, how do I discern God's will in my life, and do I go to this college or that college, and when it comes down to it, one option as a good church and, and other things that, that would promote the prosperity of their souls while they went through their education, the other doesn't, but the one, the one that doesn't is more prestigious, and what it comes down to at the end of the day is I just really want to do this. And sometimes that's simply a matter of, of puffing up our own pride. Mm-hmm. Other times it involves unbelief, that we believe if I don't go to this school instead of the other one, that I won't get the job that I need or, or whatever else it may be. But when we're talking about self-denial, we're talking about, in, in many ways, in the simplest form, pursuing God's ways instead of our ways submitting ourselves to God's Word, whatever the cost might be, and subjecting our desires to what God desires for us. So basically, we're seeking to uh, tune our hearts or bring them in line with the things the Lord commands and requires of us. And this is why one of the things that I try to stress in the booklet, because I think Luke does in the text, is that the exhortation... To deny ourselves is actually bracketed by Christ's teaching of his own self-denial, taking up the cross, dying for uh, for our salvation, and then immediately following the exhortation to deny ourselves, we see his transfiguration. And this is really almost a pictorial way, at least in, in terms of verbal imagery, of what he says elsewhere, that he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. So when we're called to deny ourselves, the first thing we need to recognize is this is the path trod before us by Christ, and if Christ did not deny ourselves, we wouldn't be the children of God. And if Christ uh, did not deny himself and obey the Father to the point of death, he wouldn't have been exalted. And so we follow Christ through self-denial, we follow him through uh, even suffering because of our self-denial, but then ultimately we have the same promise of entering into
0: glory and being with the Lord forever. Yeah, I'm glad you went to the narc, uh, the narc, the Luke. I'm I'm stuck in Mark, I'm preaching through, I'm preaching through Mark um, at a church, and so I'm, I don't know why, but everything's Mark right now. I guess that's a good thing. Let me just read the text that we that, that Dr. McGraw is referencing it, and I think it's probably something that we should do more on the podcast, um, especially if we're dealing with biblical issues, um, because I'm sensitive to the fact that people are listening and they're not always in front of a Bible or they're not maybe driving a car, riding a bike, um, exercising, whatever the case may be. But let me just read the text, and 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 then um, we'll get further into this subject in more practical ways, but but Christ is teaching in Luke 9 he says and he was saying to them all if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself it's an interesting way of putting it he must it's not an option he must deny himself and take up his cross and daily and follow me and and there Luke adds the daily where Mark doesn't have that at all for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake he is the one who will save it for what is a man profit profited. If he gains the whole world, and loses only, loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And this is the text that, that Dr. McGraw used to springboard into um, this subject. And And one of the things, Dr. McGraw, that I really love that you brought forward were there were a number of great quotes in the book um one that particularly struck me was jc riles comment i remember what you and i had talked about this in your office um after i preached the sermon that was that this booklet was somewhat helpful to me on but he says surely a christian should be willing to give up anything which stands between him and heaven i mean you can stop right there and just you know, pull out the daggers. A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove, in the end, a useless Christianity without a crown. Um, it, it, it's just an amazing perspective on the reality of this. What this subject really contains, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that and that is one of my favorite quotes from J.C. Ryle, and uh, I, I use it and or paraphrase it frequently. Um, and and with that. One thing that I think is important to note is, uh, one, well, several things perhaps I should note. The first thing is that Christianity is inherently costly, and a Christianity that costs nothing counts for nothing. Um, Even on its most basic level, I always remember reading Thomas Manton's sermons on self-denial, And Manton says the first place you need to deny yourself is with respect to your own righteousness, Mm. your own self-opinion. And in that case, self-denial lies at the heart of our conversion and turning from trusting in our own righteousness that we might receive the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So even that is an act of self-denial. Another thing that's important to note here when we talk about the costliness of Christianity is uh, you could say this is a second point, that uh, the cross is something that we take up, not something that happens to us. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is, is most commonly overlooked in relation to the text. People speak of uh, the crosses the Lord has laid upon me. Uh, such as in, in my family, we've had a lot of medical issues, or uh, Bill, you have as well, and, and insurance issues and, and those types of things. And, and people refer to those times as the Lord laying the cross upon me. But actually, in the text, the cross is not something that comes upon you. The cross is something you actively pursue mm. and something you actively mm. take up. So bearing the cross is not saying that I'm, I'm suffering. Uh, hopefully, as we suffer, we suffer as Christians, and we we confront ourselves with our sin, we draw comfort from the promises of god and and so on, and we should suffer differently than a non Christian, certainly, but taking up the cross is actually a description of every act of Christian obedience every day of of all of our lives, yep. and everything we do we we actively deny ourselves, take up the cross, and then the third thing. Uh, that I'd like to add there, is uh, in conjunction with this teaching, Jesus tells us that whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. So Mm -hmm. he is the negative and the positive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but what's very interesting is I think what most Christians think about here is they picture the Christian standing in the middle of the Colosseum with the Romans chanting for their blood, and, and the Christian has to either affirm Christ or deny Christ, and if they affirm Christ, and they get thrown to the lions, and then if they deny Christ, they have to off- offer a sacrifice to the gods, and we have this, this big dramatic scene before us. But actually, uh, I believe that when Paul says uh, it's, it's impossible for someone to live godly in Jesus and not suffer persecution… Uh, or Jesus says more broadly here that, that self-denial is an active part of every Christian's life, what we don't realize is that, in principle, the self-denial that's required in, say, keeping the Sabbath, or exercising hospitality, or going to the prayer meeting, or reading your Bible every day, um, or, or putting to death your sinful deeds and desires, which every member at least of the OPC, vows to pursue. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things are in essence the same acts as the man standing in the Colosseum. And the danger that I think faces Christians, especially in the West, is that we compromise in denying ourselves for the small aspects of the Christian life because we don't think they're a big deal. And we think the real acts of obedience – are affirming Christ before the Emperor and going to the lions. No one will affirm Christ before the Emperor proverbially and go to the lions if day by day they're not reading their Bibles, they're breaking the Sabbath, they're ignoring the commands of Scripture, and not leading godly lives in general. Remember what Jesus says, he who is faithful in what is least will be faithful in what is much and vice
0: versa. Yeah, those are sobering words and I, and I remember I'm having that same reaction I had when I read this book. I yeah, I really strongly encourage the listeners to read that get this the, it, I don't even know what it costs. It's not much. You can get it on ebook even um $2. It is a remarkably challenging book. To, um it, one of the quotes that you brought forward as we move into the grounds for self-denial and then we're going to get to some of those practical issues that you brought up here in a minute, but um who was it that wrote this? Thomas Watson, of course. Um, he says that, that, that the well, good workings, the definition of self-denial is that principle by which, regardless of personal cost, we believe and do whatever Christ teaches us and reject and flee from whatever he forbids. Now, and, and I highlighted that in my book. It struck me. Um, uh, it may not strike you the same way it struck me, but it struck me, uh, that this idea that we believe and do whatever Christ Teaches not as Doctor Morgado just said not the big stuff you know uh, okay I won't cheat on my wife well that's nice but if if you're not faithful in the little how are you going to be faithful in much but what are the grounds for self denial where you know we've talked about the the subject itself I think as a whole but what are the grounds for it
1: I could answer that in in two ways I, I suppose either objectively or subjectively and uh, and interestingly as you read the the quote from Watson that I have there, uh, I didn't realize how much this was the case until right now, but in my Reformed spirituality class at the seminary, as well as in a a booklet I've written for the same series on what is a Christian, I actually begin the discussion of what is a Christian using Mm -hmm. that same uh, attitude, that same material, that same definition, with a few additions to describe what a Christian is. Which really highlights what our Lord is saying, that this is not something Christians uh, simply want to consider or might be important, but this really lies at the heart of our conversion. That's not to say that uh, we won't fail in many ways, and we won't need to be convicted, and we won't need repentance. That's part of uh, what the Spirit does to help us grow uh, in principle, but that's true with any aspect of the Christian life. In some ways, when when a man or woman is born again, the seeds of every grace are planted in the soul. And as all of those seeds of every grace grow up in our souls, some grow faster than others. Sometimes some seem to be overgrown with weeds and choked Mm -hmm. out for a time. And so uh, we can have the root of these things in our hearts and still have deficiencies in our lives. We shouldn't despair because of something like that. We should... Uh, press onward and upward. But in relation to your question, as I said, that you could answer the question of the grounds of self-denial objectively and subjectively. Um, objectively, I would say the ground of self-denial is ultimately uh, the work of the triune God generally and the work of Christ specifically. So, in other words, it's God himself who makes the Christian— It's God himself, uh, the Father, who plans our redemption. It's the Son, then, who purchases our redemption, and the Spirit, then, who applies our redemption and brings all these things to fruition uh, in our lives. And so, in this process, the Father has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. The Son has freed us from the power of death and sin and Satan and hell and reconciled us to God. He's also purchased the blessing and benefit of the Spirit to dwell in our hearts. And it's really the Spirit who comes to us first. He comes to us when we are dead in our sins, He changes our hearts, and when He changes our hearts, He changes our disposition. The God who was once uh, our enemy, who we suppressed the knowledge of in unrighteousness, now becomes to us altogether lovely, now becomes to us our friend in Christ and now he's attractive to us, and really uh, that's where the subjective change begins to come in. What God has done to us, what God is doing in us, what God is doing for us, in Christ, by the Spirit, now creates a new disposition in us. And so when we talk about the cause or ground of self-denial subjectively, we're not just simply talking about uh, looking at myself and saying, Uh, I'm doing very poorly today, and I need to improve in these five or six areas, Mm -hmm. and therefore I'm going to begin uh, really trying to improve these five or six areas. And I think what some Christians do is their consciences are wounded by their failures. So instead of running immediately to Christ, who supplies the grounds of self-denial and the Spirit, who enables us to deny ourselves. They act as though I need to fix these five or six things first, mm-hmm. and then I'll be in a right position to be walking with God again. Well, I don't want to excuse sin in the least, and one of the greatest benefits of the gospel is victory over sin in practice, not simply in its its condemning power, right. but in its reigning power. and And yet at the same time, it's always a mistake not to go back to the plan of the Father, the purchase of Christ, and the application of the Spirit in order to impel us forward in in self-denial. And in that, I believe uh, the Father, as it were, is shining a spotlight on the Son from one side, and we need to hear His voice saying, no one comes to me except by my Son. And then on the other side, the Spirit is shining a spotlight on Christ from the other direction, saying, I've come to glorify Him because he then becomes the means by which we come to the Father, and the, the pattern towards which the Spirit is conforming us in self-denial. And that brings us finally back to the text. We begin with Christ's self-denial, we, begin, we end with Christ's glorification, and what I've described is, is more of the theological groundwork of how and why this operates in the Christian life.
0: Yeah, I was, I was thinking as you were talking. I was just gonna just r- drag a pulpit in here and let you just start preaching. <laughs> I mean, and I mean that in a good way. Don't don't take that the wrong way. I t- I mean that in a good way. It's just really, it's just great material, and it's one I I think Dr. McGraw would agree with that we just don't think enough about um, this matter. I know I was con- I was personally forced to deal with some things, and and still am trying. But that's the really the the grounds of it is so critically important as as to what what Dr. McGraw just said. This is not to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is pleading for Christ to do give us what He's commanded us to do. One of the things mm-hmm. I pray often for myself is, Lord, you've commanded it. I desire to obey it because the Spirit lives in me. Give me that which you command. Right. Give me the heart to deny myself. Give me the heart to love you more. Give me the that's that that that's the what what, what I think he's talking about. We dealt with the pattern of self-denial, uh, as Dr. McGraw's already shown us, the text is bracketed by these two events, and uh, in, in, in the way we read our Bibles, I think today we, we miss that kind of big-picture element, and, and I think we've talked about the reason. But what I want to do now is is kind of move from the principles of self-denial into the practical elements that you've highlighted in this book, and I don't think... They're exhaustive issues, but they're ones that really kind of put their finger on it in in many ways. And you've mentioned a number of them already, and I'm flipping through the book really fast here as I have it with me. Um, uh, I didn't memorize it, but I probably should have. But I think you started with the Sabbath day. Now, why? How does the Sabbath, the keeping of it or not keeping of it, uh, and, and as you've been pointing out in the book, regardless of your position, uh, how does the Sabbath? reveal a person who's, who's living a life of self-denial in accordance with Christ's commands or not.
1: Maybe before answering that directly, I should uh, explain what I'm trying to do here, um, because I, I think one of the problems that most Christians face in their Christian lives is, as you said at the outset, in, in some ways it's fairly easy for us to get a grasp of principles. Mm-hmm. But to understand the practice is a little bit different, and in a way, it's like uh, my children in their homeschooling—they'll watch a video that teaches them how to do their math lessons. Mm-hmm. But it's not until they actually open their own books and go through the problems right. and try to implement what they've seen that it begins to stick and begins to make sense. And so, sometimes with with uh, with Christians in general, it's possible for us to get principles in our minds and perhaps even very practical principles such as self-denial and for pastors and for uh, people in the audience listening to sermons to mistake practical principles for application. And it's not the same thing. And there is a applicatory thrust, for example, in the entire sermon I preached in self-denial, and everything is aiming at the heart, hopefully. But Unless sometimes we have specific examples that are going to show us what this looks like and ways perhaps that we're deeply affected by it, then it's not likely to strike home. Uh, and, And really what happens is it's like me if I take off my glasses and I see you across the table. I know it's you, and I can recognize you, but you're fuzzy around the edges. When I put on my glasses, then suddenly I see you in high definition. So. Uh, same Say, thing. That's a sad, it's sad a, thing it's a, to a, see, but that's okay. <laughs> right? But uh, but the issue is that it's the same way with the Christian life. Yep. We don't want to simply live in a vague, uh, general, external way, which comes closer to the religion of the scribes and Pharisees than the re- the religion of Christ at the end of the day.
0: I think one of the things so. you said just a second ago that, that really struck me um, and and as, as I read the book, read the booklet already and passed it on to, to a friend who's read it and was really challenged by it as well, is that the, 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 the tenor of, the, of this booklet, 30-some-odd 30, uh, 30 pages, uh, you know, 33, 34 pages long, is, is as Dr. McGraw said, it, he, the target's the heart. Uh, I remember yeah. in a sermon, and you've probably said the same thing in, in sermons you've preached, that... that Pastors if they're doing their job they, they, yes they want to speak to the mind they want to they want to inform, but their target at the end of the day is the heart of god's people and and this is what this book does i I can assure you of it you got to take my word for it, read it you will understand fully that issue so you use the Sabbath to launch this practical piece uh, the, to the uh, the application of the principle yes
1: and um and and with that remember that it's really uh, only one example among many. Um, and and the reason why I start by saying that is um, is I've had very dear friends and do have dear friends who do not share the same covenant theology I hold and for that reason don't even believe there is such thing as a Sabbath. Uh, one of them that I have in mind right now, however, I believe would also agree with everything that I'm about to say even in relation to the Sabbath because he's a godly man and he mm-hmm. loves the Lord mm-hmm. and, and denies himself as he follows the Lord. And I think what happens is with an issue like the Sabbath, there are some people who genuinely don't understand that there is a Sabbath or if they do, don't understand what it means to, to keep it holy. And I'm not saying that to demean anyone, but I'm, I am saying that I think that's something largely lost in the modern world, especially, obviously, in the Christian world, that to keep something holy in the Old Testament means to consecrate it entirely to the worship and service of God. And so it shouldn't surprise us, for example, that on the Sabbath we should keep the entire time uh, in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And that would exclude, as a matter of course, worldly employments, recreations, all those types of other things. And I'm afraid that in our understanding of the Sabbath, we, we lose our moorings with respect to the biblical teaching of holiness in general and what it means for something to be holy. But what I'm dealing with here is more that what, what the practical elements of it say to us. Because what really happens is that um, – the main reason why a lot of Reformed Christians don't keep the Sabbath carefully is is often more practical than doctrinal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's hard, isn't it, to dedicate an entire day to the Lord. Nothing is going to show you your spiritual lethargy, laziness, and corrupt heart than saying, I'm going to spend the next 24 hours minus my sleep to do nothing but think about the ways of the Lord, speak about the ways of the mm-hmm. Lord as far as I can, go to public worship, worship the Lord, um, and and so on and so forth. Um, and, and sometimes it's really the Sabbath that exposes the degree to which we end up still being earthly-minded. And I don't say that to depress people or leave them uh, under a, a hopeless sense of conviction, but... Really, sometimes what happens is we need to expose the wound before we can treat it. And another aspect of Sabbath-keeping is I've seen many people who who say that I'm willing to uh, keep the Sabbath and, and I'm not going to work on Sunday. Let's take the broadest application. And and we have to admit, this is the easy stuff. Yep. The stuff that I just mentioned about speech and thought and, and everything else, that's the hard stuff. But in terms of... of Uh, just simply not going to work. Uh, Usually the way most Christians understand that is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor, the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no labor, unless your employer puts pressure on you, and now it's a work of necessity to work on the Lord's day. Well, I I know friends, um, at least one friend in particular, that, in in his country, he counseled his congregation to sing quietly so that they wouldn't be arrested and put in prison before the end of the service. Mm. And the congregation objected and said, Pastor, we want to sing to the Lord. Yep. They're willing to go to prison for singing a song, and suddenly when my employer tells me that I have to work on Sunday or else then it's a work of necessity, because really, if I'm honest with myself, and I'm in that cir- circumstance, what's happening? I'm not willing to deny myself, and I don't believe the Lord will provide for my family. Yep. Nope. And that should be convicting, and I hope it does strike some of you. I hope it continues to strike me to keep me uh, from the same sins, and that's one thing that a proper understanding of God's law can do. So it's not necessarily that the Sabbath itself is the primary issue here, but it shows one symptom of a broader problem that we're not willing to obey Christ when it costs us anything. And really, that's if if we're honest with ourselves in Western Christianity, uh, most Western Christians, for the most part, are not willing to give up anything for the sake of Christ. And, And that's a little bit Well, more than a little bit disturbing.
0: I remember a a mutual friend of ours, young man, um, you'll know who I'm talking about immediately, um, was looking for a job. He was here a student, Greenville, looking for work. And I remember one of the things that I told him, I said, now, you know, you're looking for a job in the retail world. Um, The three biggest days in the retail world are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yep. I said, and uh, you're going to have to make a stand on your application up front. You're not available to work on the Lord's Day. And I had a man, and, and this young man did that, and he got hired because the Lord was kind and blessed him and, and blessed his obedience and gave him the job, regardless of the fact that he wasn't going to be there on Sunday. Another man, uh, same counsel, uh, his response was similar to what you just said. Well, if, if I don't if I don't say that I'm available on the Lord's Day, I, they won't hire me. And and my response to him was, I said, brother, that, that is the Lord's problem, not yours. Right. You take this, you stand for what the Lord has taught you to do, and you let him work the details out on that matter. But you, it's just like what you said, we're not willing to do that, because, well, I won't be able to feed my family. And, and as you said in the book, which was, I think it was really well done, um, God's not able to meet our needs uh, to those who are pleased to, obey him, uh, the promises of God is he blesses his people when they're willing to stand and obey him and what he has said, and so you claim that promise and you believe that he'll do it. Right. Don't know how. It may be difficult, but he will.
1: Well, when we get into areas like this, even as you're you're saying this, what came to my mind immediately was uh, how similar it actually is to the scenario in Daniel chapter 1, mm-hmm where Daniel and his friends won't eat of the king's delicacies because of basically the indoctrination and brainwashing program and idolatry involved in, in the Babylonian education. And uh, sorry to all you vegetarians out there, but uh, it was a miraculous act of God that he ate a vegetarian diet and remained healthy. Um, and, and so there the Lord is showing that he's able to provide and sustain his people. Yep. in exactly that
0: kind of scenario. Yeah, and so the Sabbath really does flesh this out. I, I, when I preached the sermon relevant to some of these mater- some of this material, it was actually out of Philippians 1, um, where Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I, some of these practical elements I gleaned from this book, the morning I was going to preach it, so I almost had to, ch- I had to change my outline a little bit just to, to work some of these practical elements in. And the sabbath was certainly one of them and i and there were people out there that i knew that worked on the lord's day and um but you know said this as lovingly i i think and as kindly as possible but the reality is our god it, there's no problem that he cannot solve and we don't but we prove by our action that we don't believe it and so we did we don't deny ourselves and 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 do that i was faced with that i worked in the retail world many of you know for many many years in management which means you're working on Sunday. Yeah, no ands, ifs, or buts. And I had to resign after uh, nine months of being plagued by the reality that I was sinning. And I had to resign. And, um, and I don't say that to brag. It's not about that. It took nine months. Uh, shame on me it took nine months. But, this, but I also say that to recognize that, that, that we're patient and we, God is patient with us as he brings us to these realities. And he will take care of us. You moved on to worship. How is that relevant to self-denial? How does that fit the subject?
1: Well, there's, there's a number of different ways. Um, <laughs> I want to be careful with this because um, I think of too many personal examples, and I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on them. But um, There are a number of things that can come out in relationship to worship. Let's say in relationship to attending services or attending Sunday school on the Lord's Day or or other things like that. Um, Someone might say that uh, I, I work the other six days, and I knew many people that have done that. And um, this is my only day for me, so I'm not coming to evening worship because um, that's my time where I'm taking a nap. Um, I might find out later, really, they're sitting on the couch watching the TV. And, um, and that seems to be, to me, not only a gross example of spiritual laziness and lethargy, which, if, if that is you and you're hearing this, please be convicted now. Uh, and and repent of this, because that's what it is. There's no other way to put it. It's it's spiritual laziness, and it's insulting to Jesus Christ uh, to sit home and say, I'd rather uh, uh, sit at home and take my nap and get my rest while Christ is present in a peculiar way with his people down the street. There are other people who have legitimate reasons that they cannot return for evening worship, but Really, dear friends, does it never cost you anything to worship the living and true god uh, and And when we think about it, when you consider the the relatively small cost of being at two worship services on the Lord's day simply because the Lord is there and his people are there, then then there's an element of this where it should sound absurd. That we're not willing to deny ourselves with some of these things because it, it is absurd in many ways, and we see the great cost to which the uh, or the the early church was subject in the book of Acts simply to have their prayer meetings and how often they met together for fellowship and for prayer and for breaking of bread and for hearing the preaching of the word and and it was much much more than we often do and I'm not saying we should try to to reduplicate that. And our, our schedules often won't permit it, but uh, oftentimes our lack of commitment to public worship, to prayer meetings, to the ministries of the church can simply be a matter of we're unwilling to do it because it's inconvenient, and it's going to cost me
0: something. Yep. I remember what you just said as I was, again, same sermon, <laughs> it's just all coming back to me. Um, made that same comment, that, you know, you you won't come to worship because you think you have a right to uh, recreation, uh, rest, uh, whatever it may be, uh, and you miss Christ, that he's here, and do you even, when you're not in worship, do you miss him? Because you've missed him. You've missed him speaking through the preaching of his word, and the reading of his word, and so it Anyway, yeah, I'm not going to re-, re- reproduce what you just said. You said it much better. And but how, but then you have worship and then the prayer meeting. Now now we're really getting down to the <laughs> into the nitty-gritties of things. Um you know, most I think most Christians would admit, I think at least on the surface that oh yeah, Sunday I go to church. Got it. And 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 I think most Christians thankfully uh at least attend the morning worship if not both. Um if, if there is a second service, another subject for another day. Um, but um, a prayer meeting. I'd heard a quote one time, I think read it on Facebook. Perhaps you wrote it or said it or uh, I don't know where it came from. But that at the end, that when great persecution comes, and I think it's coming in this country, uh, the ch- what the church will look like is those that come to the prayer meeting. All the rest will be swept away.
1: And that may very well be, and um, in terms of the prayer meeting, the general comment that I would make would be, um, in terms of why we do it, to uh, uh, go back to the podcast where Bill and I discussed that subject on on preaching and prayer meetings, and, and there's a booklet on that as well, and I do think that's a great need of the church today. But maybe uh as as a positive example, uh at risk of embarrassing a friend, um Joel Beakey tells a story of his son that I think is very positive in this respect, where uh the son was uh doing um soccer practice midweek. Mm-hmm. Um not the son, Calvin, his the same name as one of my boys, and he um Uh, He he was getting older, and and Joel basically came to him and said, uh, well, now this year, soccer practice is moved to Wednesday night, but you're getting older, and you need to start making responsible decisions by yourself, and so I'm going to let you uh, decide what you think would be the best thing. And um, without much hesitation, he he basically said, well, Dad, prayer meeting is— is definitely more important. This is the only sport he was doing, the only time he was really able to do it, and for the sake of gathering with the Lord's people in prayer, was, was willing voluntarily to set aside something that was important to him, which is really the, the uh, heartbeat of self-denial in order to do something that was pleasing to the Lord. Um, there are always extenuating circumstances there uh, was a young man that, that our family is very close to that would often send me uh, an email at 1130 on Wednesday night saying he was just leaving work. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's that's untenable for him to come to the prayer meeting. However, in, in Sunnyvale, again at risk of uh, embarrassing some friends... We had uh, many people there who were an excellent example of this, that they were software engineers, they were working at some of these big-name companies in Silicon Valley, really getting off work at about 7 o'clock and showing up late to our prayer meeting, which started at 7.15. Most of them haven't had dinner yet. Mm. And yet we had families there and, and their wives and their children meeting them at the prayer meeting. And it was a wonderful example of people who were denying themselves because they believed it was important for the people of God to gather together for corporate prayer and to spread the gospel by doing so. So uh, I use that example just so uh, you know that not all my examples are negative either, that there are some good positive right. models of this type of thing to follow.
0: Yep. Dr. McGraw mentioned the broadcast that we did on the prayer meeting. It is broadcast 85 as a programming note if you're curious and haven't heard them in order or succession you can just jump back to to broadcast number 85 that's the one that he's referring to uh because of time i want to jump forward i i i don't want to really deal with this one because it's one that was particularly difficult to read for me personally um and i think most if they're honest that they, they this is an area of self denial that is just slips in under the radar and sneaks in and, and, and creates all kind of havoc in the life of the believer, but it's in the area of complaining and contentment. Now He's smiling. It's not, this is radio, not TV, but he's smiling because he knows me very well, and, uh, and I've had great reason, as has already been mentioned, and, and so has our guest, uh, to give ground in this particular area in recent days because of health issues and things like that. So, elaborate.
1: Well, I I partly smile about this because uh, as we're attending the local OPC congregation, Peter Van Doody is preaching on that section in Exodus where the people start complaining, so it's been a fresh topic in our family. Mm-hmm. And also one of my students in, in homiletics preached on the same subject recently, so it's come up there, and then it's in the booklet, and we're talking about it here, so we're, it's as though... Uh And my family were being inundated with this subject of complaining uh which which maybe uh speaks to uh our own hearts in terms of our tendencies and and where we tend to go. I think the issue of complaining is something that uh just just to lay this out personally uh is is always relevant because there's always some area where we're tempted here. And I don't believe there's ever been a year where I've read Exodus or Numbers in my yearly Bible reading where this issue has not been convicting. Um, and really, it's the primary thing that the people are charged with there. Um, at one point, Moses says, you've, you've rebelled against the Lord these ten times with your complaining. And the complaining was, was the issue that, that stood out. Um, but really, the primary way for us to deal with complaining, I believe, is uh, through prayer and meditation. And really, that's two ways, but they're, they're related. Mm-hmm. Because, um, for example, when you go through the Psalms, when you go through Lamentations, which I preached on recently in Sunnyvale, um, you, you see a method in the Bible of what we can call sanctified complaining. And sometimes the value of going through those passages and making them our own prayers is that uh, they allow us to vent our desires to God without uh, running astray or being like a ship at sea without a rudder. And they, as it were, channel our desires in the right direction. So we're not complaining about God, but we're complaining to God. And in that... We're also confessing sin, we are, are giving him thanks, we're, we're praising him. So uh, that's where our meditation and our prayer comes together, to use the scriptures to confront ourselves, to think through, uh, not not simply the proverbial expression of counting our blessings, which we, we ought to do, and, and that itself is transformative in, in self-consciously, actively giving thanks, but also in, in not simply pretending that we're not facing difficulty and and trial. In on any given day, we can recognize two things. One is is because of our sin, we forfeited the right to life itself and we really have no cause to complain about anything at all because anything that is uh this side of of hell is mercy. Um but we have something better to say than that as well because God has been merciful to our souls in Christ and abundantly lavished us with his gifts, even transformed our trials to work for our good and our sanctification. So it's by meditating upon these things that that we confront our sin of complaining. And sometimes we simply just need to deny ourselves and do it, because let's face it, I face this, you face this, I'm sure everybody does, that when you're physically in pain, when you're ill when you're miserable, sometimes you just want to be miserable, and you just want to go down that path. And as Christians, we act as though deep distress gives us the right to say anything we want to say. And that got Job into significant trouble Mm -hmm. by the end of the book of Job. He started well, um, but really uh, when he kept his hand over his mouth and was silent for 7 days then things went well and after that in relation to his obnoxious friends who provoked him things got worse and God's remedy to Job was to direct Job back to meditating on God's glory uh, which is where Job ends and that's what we need to do so i think therefore um when i'm mentioning the psalms and lamentations parts of the prophets What I'm trying to do is not just say, well, uh, walk away and rejoice in the Lord. I think it's important for us to be able to express grief and distress and not to pretend as though it's not happening.
0: Yep, do it it in that—I actually had written down holy complaining before you mentioned it, so our minds were on the same page, but do it in that way that the the Psalms emulate, because certainly there's plenty of times in the Psalms where it appears that the psalmist, David, perhaps— um, yeah. is complaining, but it's, it's, the, it's, it's the mode of which he's doing it. It's the attitude in which he's doing it. It's, da- it's not just murmuring.
1: Yeah, we need to take ourselves in hand. We need to use those scriptures to help us express ourselves, but also to confront ourselves. And we need to be willing to do it. And I don't, I don't want to belabor this, but um, I, I've gone through enormous trials personally some greater than others, some less than others. And I think that's true with all of us in, in different ways. But um, I, I've always been struck many times when you're trying to talk to somebody or even to ourselves and bring to mind something like Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. How often are we tempted to say, well, I know that, but it doesn't help? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, then maybe the real question is um do I believe it? Yep. Am I am I willing to deny myself where I am right now and by faith lay hold of of this promise though it's commonplace and actually uh insist on Christ's faithfulness to the promise which we should do and and go forward. But that does require a measure of self-denial. Yep. And uh, I've been in, in deep depression at different points in my life, especially just prior to my conversion. And there does come a point where you are simply comfortable thinking along those lines. And it's almost physically painful to confront it and draw yourself out of it.
0: Yep. But it requires self-denial. Yep. Well, boy, it's a subject we could, we could probably talk about. I'm glad we, I'm glad we can't um, in a warped kind of way because it's it, it is a, this whole subject, the booklet itself highlights, I think, uh, a, a, a good sketch of this material, but it, it should springboard us into thinking more and more about our own lives. Uh, there's other areas that were pre- presented in the booklet on marriage, husbands uh, loving their wives in that self-denial way, not as kingly lords do this, bow, yield. No, and in, in a sacrificial way. I mean, much more was brought out, but this could springboard into so many different things of contentment, complaining. Uh, there's some statements made about students who grumble about their professors. I'm a student, so I, I know the temptation there, and ministers who have to submit to their elders even though they, they think their elders are just off, off their rocker and uh, they're wrong, maybe, even. Um, but learning to be content and believing that what God said in Romans 8, 28 is true. Um, praying that and insisting on God, as it were. Uh, you said this it would and so use this trial, use this difficulty to conform me more and more to Christ. I believe that you're going to do that. So do what you've promised to do. Um, praying His promises, um, th- those kinds of things. But th- there's so much we could talk about, but we're out of time. <laughs> and the the listeners are probably like, "Good." <laughs> I, I hope not. I hope after you listen to this, you you, you sit down and 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 do some serious introspection as it were not morbid but real uh exploring in your own heart um and, and 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 there is a conclusion to this that you don't have to walk away from this podcast and go i'm i'm a disaster y- you may think that i may think that i think that now <laughs> but there's a conclusion there's a hope and the hope is well
1: really uh ending where we began exactly and looking at our our self-denial as an aspect of our communion and fellowship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is really the primary thing, if not the only thing, that can transform very difficult situations and bitter providences uh, into the joy of having fellowship with Christ and his sufferings. And so uh, we do need to, to go that direction. And Maybe in in conclusion, I guess I'm I'm struck as we're talking by remembering David's statement uh, when he purchases the threshing floor and the oxen in order to to sacrifice to the Lord and appease the Lord's anger because of his sin in numbering Israel. And uh, he tells the owner of the threshing floor, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. And in following Christ, Christ offered nothing to the Lord uh, but what cost him greatly. Mm -hmm. And so let us then take up David's attitude uh, because of God's uh, self-giving to us and Christ's self-denial and generosity, that if Christ gave himself at great cost, then we will not offer the Lord that which costs us nothing.
0: Yep. He edited the book with Lloyd-Jones' quote, and it's a great, I think, probably a great place to end altogether, but Lloyd-Jones says the world today is looking for and desperately needs true Christians. I am not tired of saying that what the church needs to do is not to organize evangelistic campaigns and attract outside people, but to begin herself to live the Christian life. And that's what we've been talking about, right? If she did that, men and women would be crowding into our buildings. They would say, what is the secret? Of this, uh, being salt of the earth, light of the world—all of those yeah. things—they all tie together. Um, and um, and I, and I, and I'm and I'm struck with the reality that we think that Christ said we would suffer. He said that we would have hardships. We would have to deny ourselves. He did it, and but then when it happens to us, we're shocked. But he said it would happen for true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the the thing that always gives me great comfort is that. 20 minutes from this podcast, after having great discussion about this, I'm going to blunder, and I'm going to sin, and I'm going to fail, uh, potentially. And I can get up, and I can say, but Lord, you have forgiven me, and I confess this and help me, and I can go forward, like the Apostle Paul says, forgetting what's behind. Press forward for the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the comfort and hope. And as you're listening to this, perhaps you're looking at your life and saying, this is not me. And maybe it's not you because you're not a christian it's possible and 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 we can deceive ourselves and the answer for that is to repent turn to christ plead his promises he will forgive you he stands ready to do that even this moment but perhaps you are a christian and you waver greatly in this area as i have and do at times and and, and many do uh you purpose Uh, by god's grace by his spirit to help you do these things it is so needed in the church and i fear uh that this is going to become more and more an issue Uh, we've been comfortable in the west has been mentioned already and i think as times as we see our country especially in the united states go the direction it's going uh, this is this impetus this this calling which is a high calling uh, is going to become more and more prevalent and necessary Uh, just like lloyd jones says and people are going to be looking for true Christians. Um, I could only hope that that would happen, and pray for it as well. Final thoughts, brother.
1: Well, and as you were saying that, um, I, I just want to conclude by saying I'm I'm teaching systematic theology here at the at the seminary, and so obviously I place a great emphasis on doctrinal precision, mm-hmm. um, and I want to to help men understand the Bible well. But one of the examples I gave today was a friend of mine who's not Reformed and doesn't believe that there is a Sabbath, but he does exemplify what we've just uh, heard about at the end uh, with the Lloyd-Jones quote. And so the last exhortation that I, I want to give to people is be careful not to confuse our learning and our doctrine with our piety and our personal godliness. We – there are many people in the Christian world who may know less than you do, but do more than you do. And I'm not saying the doctrine doesn't matter, uh, but like the colloquial expression goes, use it or lose it. Yep. And we need to implement, by God's grace, with the help of His Spirit, uh, what we do know.
0: Yep. Well said. You can get the book, Reformation Heritage Books. The website is, uh, just Google it. It'll come up. It's the first thing that you'll see. Um, search for it. The title of the book is, Why Should You Deny Yourself? I strongly encourage it. Um, encourage people to get a hold of it. ebook or whatever. I don't get it. However you have to get it. But get it. Read it. Read um, Think about it. Meditate on it. Read it with your family, uh, husbands, wives, uh, children. Um, If anyone wishes to come after Christ, they must deny themselves. Not optional. Get the book, um, Reformation Heritage Books, the website there. You um, you can get it in various formats. Dr. McGraw, thank you. It's been, uh, well, convicting again, challenging as well. but uh, but always edifying as well. It it has the, the a good balance of, of all of those things and um, helpful to to be reminded once again of a very simple verse in the <coughs> scriptures, but one much very difficult to employ. But God will help us, and as we seek His His grace. Um, Thank you, Bill. Coming up on the program. Uh, uh, not sure uh, exactly. Uh, I, s- I probably say that every time. Uh, but it re- remind you of the faith and practice segments that we do every month. Send your questions in. The website has the form there. Punch them out, whatever it may be. We've had some great questions, many of them very good. So send them in and uh, utilize that opportunity for Dr. Piper to interact with with you, the listener. You get to run the program. So it's an opportunity for you to actually tell us how we're going to do things here uh, on the podcast. And again, any comments or questions or criticisms, feel free to write me, Confessing hope at gpts.edu. Until next time, would you thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.